0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad.
1: And I'm your host, Sarah.
0: And this is Andor Candor, where we talk all things Andor on Disney+. Plus. And this week, we're discussing episode number 10, One Way Out, directed by Toby Haynes and written by Bo Willman. Oh, my gosh. Wow.
1: AKA one of the best hours of television. Period. Period. <laughs>
0: Definitely of Star Wars. I mean, holy heck. What a what a finale to the Narkina 5 arc. Just an incredible, thrilling, gut-wrenching on the edge of your seat, adrenaline pumping. I, I'm so excited we get to talk about this episode. We we saw it, we got that chance to see it early, and we've been like dying to talk about it <laughs> because it's so damn good. And now the masses have been seeing it.
1: Yeah, I uh every time somebody even mentioned how much they're enjoying Andor online or in person? I just start to grin like an idiot. Like I'm like I'm like, He-he. just wait, besties.
0: I keep going back to the quote from Diego Luna where he's like, "You have to watch Andor. Everybody around you has to see Andor. You have to recommend Andor." And like honestly, that's been my entire personality for like the last two months, and I'm okay
1: with honestly. it. Honestly. Honestly, I'm so excited to hear that my my friends who I was just like weirdly grinning around like their reaction to this episode, because <laughs> I'm so ready to talk about it with everybody that I know. Um, but last week I pulled up, I pulled up the receipts of, um uh, of my reactions to episode nine. Uh, I have receipts for my actions to episode 10. Here they go. Here they go. If you recall, episode nine was, holy shit, man, Paul dash Lee. Period. shit period this is so beyond horrifying. Now on episode 10 we had holy fucking shit man. Lethal is high-key ruthless. holy shit man, this be- show better get nominated for like, every fucking award. Holy fuck man <laughs> that was that was my deranged tech messages to you at 1:33 in the morning' <laughs> so watching this
0: listen, I I'm loving this bit. I'm loving the the text receipts with Sarah and Brad. Uh, I think it's a bit that we should continue. Don't start
1: that because that can get okay. really dangerous really fast.
0: True, true, true. Okay. So sele- <laughs> selective, very selective on that. Um, but yeah, we're going to dive into full spoilers for this episode. So if you haven't seen it, uh, go watch it first. By the time you're listening to this, um, we should also have our uh, roundtable interview up with writer Bo Willman and executive producer Sonny Wallenberg, who worked on Andor. So uh, we were both very fortunate and humbled to be a part of that opportunity. Um, so huge thanks to Lucasfilm, but you can go check that episode out right after this because uh, that also includes some episode 10 uh, thoughts and spoilers, et cetera. So a very, very fun opportunity um, with some amazing people in the community. So uh, a lot of friends of the force as part of that.
1: Wow. You really just tied that all together quite beautifully. Yeah, I know it was, it was seriously so, so cool and such a privilege and um, they have some Excellent things to say about this arc and the show. And I really highly recommend that interview uh, if you didn't already listen to it before jumping over into this episode. Um, yeah, we've had to hold our tongue on this episode for a little bit here. How do we start talking about it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of the interview, I will say one thing that they talked a lot about was sacrifice. And and maybe that's somewhere where we can start. I think sacrifice is uh, a through line of the arc from Toby Haynes and um, Bo Wilman. This episode in particular really puts that on display. And I think what I love the most about this episode was seeing what each person's sacrifice means. Like we've had this idea of each person has their own form of rebellion, which sort of was the, the crux of the Aldani arc, right? Like Cassian Uh, is uh rebelling on Aldani, Mon Mothma is rebelling on Coruscant, et cetera. And now we kind of see like everybody has their own form of sacrifice, like Mothma is she gonna make the sacrifice? Is she gonna marry off her daughter? Uh, Cassian is sort of sacrificing his way of life because he is now a a, a prison escapee, uh, and he he literally just escaped prison with Melshi. So like, what are they gonna do? Like, they obviously can't go back to their normal life. They're in this together, uh, and also Luthen. Like, we get to hear a little bit from Luthen and one of the most powerful monologues I've ever heard in Star Wars and uh, a performance and a. Uh, a two or three minute scene that is worthy of an Emmy, because holy I, shit,
1: that that speech man, Bo Wilman, give that man his trophy, and then give Stellan Skarsgård his trophy as well, because holy moly, um, is does that monologue have some text, some meaty, meaty, delicious text? <sighs>
0: What was really evident to me is that rebellions are not only built on hope, but they're built on sacrifice. So, what are you willing to give up in order to enact change? Because change doesn't happen by sitting idly and hoping the change happens. Like you kind of have to like hope hope is very important, but you can't just hope. You have to act. You have to you have to try to inspire the change and be the change. And I really think we see that with Cassian in this episode, he's coming into his own, he's realizing he can be a leader of people. He can inspire an entire group of people to die trying. Right. And that's like exactly what he does in rogue one, when he brings all of his men to Scarif with Jin, And he says to her, I couldn't forgive myself if I gave up now. Right. Like you can draw a straight line from that line in rogue one, to the line in this episode where he says i'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want like we'll never have a better chance right they'll never have a better chance Mm -hmm. in rogue one like this is it this is all the marbles right and so that's why i feel like this episode is a huge inflection point for his character as well as the series and for uh the rebellion especially
1: yeah totally and it feels like um you know it goes back to that Jin quote as well where she's like we're going to take all the chances we have until either we win or the chances are spent and and that really becomes the motivating you know kind of idea in one way out here because they're just going to keep going um without regard of what happens to them individually i mean right up front um okay let's dive into the beginning again so right up front we open on um like the body of Olaf being put into a body bag and him being rolled out past the night shift. And um and then Keno and and Cassian not really being on the same page about what to do. They're kind of coping in different ways. And um Cassian is pushing him a bit. Uh and he doesn't know whether Kino is gonna fully commit or not. And they get back to the dorms are like, you know, their cells and um they and and Cassian tells them what's up and that's kind of what pushes Keno to actually act and he goes you know I'm I'm you play it your way we're not going to tell the night shift they'll figure it out soon enough I'm already a dead man I'm going to act as if as I'm already dead one way out you know and and that's the power in that is that it's it's a It is a selfish action in a way, right, to to kind of put yourself in danger to um, to get out. It is also selfless to forget yourself in that process and saying, I'm not doing this for me. I am doing it for each and every one of us. And if that means that I don't make it out at the end of this, then that's just part of the the game. Um, But if it means that at least a couple of us, if some of us, if all of us can make it out, then we have succeeded.
0: Which makes the end line of I can't swim all the more tragic. Oh, I just God had my God. heart ripped out. Heart ripped out.
1: That was so brutal. That was so absurdly brutal. And then casting gets pushed in and like the tragedy in that is is it hurts. It hurts. It'll never not hurt. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. We we I mean, I think we can safely assume by the end of this episode that it's possible that the only survivors are Melshi and Cassian, um, mm-hmm. because everybody was kind of going at the same time. However, that you know might not be true because um it seemed like everybody was kind of fanning outwards, so there may have been multiple places to go or that they were swimming towards. Uh, but it's clear in some ways that not everybody made it. Um, and there's a bit of self-interest in jumping into uh, or a bit of uh, um of selfishness. And I don't say that with a negative connotation um, uh, of jumping into the ocean in the sense that you need to be able to float yourself in order to get anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have the time or the ability to also help somebody who's perhaps weaker or less uh, you know, less skilled to do that as well. So, yeah, and well, in a prison breakout specifically. <laughs>
0: Well, and that also speaks to Kino's motivations. Like you're saying, it's selfless, right? So he's understanding, even if nobody helps me, I helped everybody else. Like, I don't need anything in return. I did my part. I served my purpose and I feel fulfilled by that. So um, I think he's sort of reckoning with that when he realizes he's going to have to swim and he can't. But also coming to peace with like, okay, this is the end for me, but like, look at what I've helped inspire and, and look at how I've, Stopped leading a life of inaction and of compliance and being on programs to actually showing all these people there is another path to follow. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty motivational for sure. Just to go on a little tangent here, you know, I'm not saying that Kino gets killed by the prison guards. It's possible that, uh, you know, maybe Mr. Sheaf Palpatine says, well, it's a pretty fine specimen we got here.
1: Stop yourself right now.
0: It's a pretty, he led a whole prison revolt. I might have to, might have to put him in a pickle jar on, in my basement (laughs) on Exegol. Maybe, maybe, maybe name him Snoke. Who knows? Who knows? We'll never know. One of the mysteries of Star Wars gets deeper and deeper. Uh, Kino Loy, could he be Snoke? We are just memeing. Please stop. But it's fun. It's fun.
1: You are just (laughs) memeing. Um. I want to just jump back in even before the episode begins. And uh, last week I mentioned the music and how it kind of had a um, very uh, 1970s, 1980s science fiction inspired electronic sound to it. Um, and this music for this week is so much more pensive, but it's also like pensive heroics. It's I, I, I watched it again this morning and, just watching it, I felt like, oh, it's bubbling. It's music that's bubbling, like ready to to break the surface. And I think it sets such a good tone for this episode. Um and so I just wanted to make sure to shout that out before we get uh much further in the episode.
0: Yeah, it was uh, interesting when we talked to Nicholas Bertel how he said the the intro music sort of takes what we left off on with also like what we're going into. So when we yeah. think of Olaf as sort of the the point of that music right like the the mourning of olaf the fact that he's died um, but also it gets a little more hopeful at the end of that intro music right so it's like yes we are mourning we are sad for the loss of this this guy and but also olaf's loss uh is going to be the inflection point for these people to wake up and be like we're not getting out we have to do something right um so while we're starting the episode on Arkina 5 let's just kind of walk through the action and and the the huge exciting moments of the prison breakout because there's so many of them and i love how we're getting that like you know morning wake up this is the last shift shift number 2155 i don't know if there's any significance to that number um but at least for cassian that's a shift number that's the last one right and they walk down the hallway they go through their morning routine and this is going to be a morning unlike any other. And once the the breakout gets into full, full effect, it's so exciting. And I love the buildup to it. I love how it feels like this could fail even before it starts, right? Like we got to get the pipe burst at the right time. We got to make sure the prison guards don't sense anything and don't send down the elevator. Um, You know, that moment of silence and you just hear the klaxon blaring and people looking around and you see the, you know, the shot of the prison guards looking around, you're like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And finally, when that elevator starts going down, you're like, okay, this is it. This is exciting. We're, we're doing this. We're, we're full in. So I love how the episode builds that tension through, you know, the lack of music and the almost like deafening silence of where they are. Makes you feel a little bit claustrophobic in a sense. Makes your heart race. I think the action was really well directed.
1: I agree. I feel like the the tension is at like a breaking point like like everybody's quietly looking around each other with a face on their face that's like oh
0: mm-hmm.
1: and everybody's just on the edge of their seats before the action hits i think as a, an audience at the very least and and once it does hit it moves really fast and it's thrilling to watch um i don't know if i have a lot of commentary on the action itself other than that. it's it's good and thrilling um and and easy to follow too uh, despite the chaos and the unplannedness i don't know of of the the plan itself there, there's a sense that they know kind of the shape of it but it's clear that they don't actually know you know what they are doing and that's not necessarily a bad thing that's just it's just a fascinating plan to watch unfold
0: Were you getting rogue one flashbacks as this started happening? Cause you know, some of the people from table five started dying and you're like, no, not table five. I've known you for two episodes. No, not the red haired guy. I I felt like every person that got shot, it happened with such like intensity. Like I almost feel like the, the, the sound of the blaster got louder when somebody got killed. It almost felt like you felt it every time. You're like, Oh shit. Like I, this is bad. Like, a lot of action in star Wars is so senseless and people just start falling everywhere. But I feel like every person that got shot or every person that died in this episode, you really felt it.
1: Well, I think that's um, a huge props to the sound design because it's really um, a conversation about like what sounds to use, what sounds not to use. We talked in early episodes about the power of the TIE fighter sound, which is used so sparingly, but when it is, it's like, whoa, that's, scary that's scary it feels the same way for these blasters this is not a uh, a show that is relying on even the nostalgic um and classic sounds of star wars both in the score or in the sound design um with some of the things that we we know and associate so strongly with star wars so when they do pop out they're really powerful um and because they they uh they give us that sense of familiarity, that sense of recognition, but they're used so sparingly that it feels important.
0: Mm-hmm. And that first push up the elevator is the scariest part of the episode because they have the lower ground; they're defenseless completely, right? Like they're throwing their tools at the guards. How do they? How do they get past that? Right? And it's obviously when they try shocking the floors, and the water is what basically shorts the fuse. And and I love Andy Circus yelling attack you know like that's a good that's a good Andy Serkis moment in a Star War I love that like it's so good
1: well the moment he realizes that the floors are not active is a really powerful one too because um it's it's that sense of fear that sense of really really strong fear and obedience that is built into them uh because of this floor system and because of um you know the fact that they're not being guarded so heavily that like this is their form of punishment. That uh, the relief, like the amount of relief that I think we as an audience member get when we find we 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 recognize that the floor is not active, is is really powerful, and I think really allows us to to invest um, in the escape plan even more.
0: Well, yeah, and it shows how powerful uh, fear as a motivator was for those prisoners and once you take that out yeah once you take that out of the equation um these are all brave people these are people who are willing to do whatever's necessary so take that out and the prison guards get overwhelmed very easily i love cassian doing his little kick you know kicks the guy in the leg and then takes his blaster and like shoots and then there's that one shot where the guy's at the console and he gets shot by cassian and cassian's like in the doorway like a james bond like at the end of the like at the end of like the tunnel thing I was like oh that's a spicy shot I was like I kind of like that that was interesting I was just like I don't know you don't see again like every episode of Andor I go ooh it's kind of interesting it's kind of interesting cinematography right there
1: for sure for sure
0: I love when they get out of that area and start liberating other levels of the prison you know Melshi gets to one part and pulls a switch which was giving me you know Melshi master switch vibes Ugh. It's kind of have brutal, him, honestly. Having flashbacks, you know. Uh, but, you know, he has his moment. They're running around the tunnels, which it kind of felt a little bespany to me with all the white walls and shooting down hallways. And... But we eventually get to this, the command center on level eight. And I think this is one of the best parts of the episode because this is the voice of God, the guy who's been giving the orders to be on program and directing all these prisoners. And it's just this, like, weaselly guy who is sitting in his ivory tower. uh, It's so interesting how there's not necessarily any cameras in this room. Um, You know, we talked about the panopticon and the idea of, like, everybody's feeling washed at any moment, but there are actually no cameras in here. It's simply just, like, dots on a screen, like, illustrating the volume of prisoners and where they're moving and where they're located.
1: It's like a heat map. Or, like, they were all tracked.
0: Yeah. And so there's almost a sense of distance between... Like, these are actual people. And for him, it's just like, oh, these are just, this is just a heat map on a screen, and I can just move the heat where I want to, and I can, I can chop off parts I don't want. The amount of desensitization this guy has to just kill anybody on a whim is horrible.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a sense that he just like is so nonchalant about it. Like, he's like, cut off five, try everybody on five. Yeah. You know? (laughs) And you're like, oh. Okay, you're just three guys sitting in a room not giving a single single shit about the humanity of anybody else or even recognizing that those people are human. You're ready to kill 100 men in one go. Right. You know, like I, it was it was a bit jarring. Um as as I assume it was meant to be um, it really showed the callousness of the empire and even of these, you know, quote unquote everyday Imperials, um, to otherwise, you know, aren't masterminds, but, um, really do the work every day to, uh, forward the fascist regime.
0: Mm-hmm. What was your reaction when you saw the door open and in come Cassian and Kino Loy? Like, did you feel like this was going to be a huge moment? Like, what did you think of that scene in general and the way that they command that center immediately. And also just, again, this voice of God having to confront the people who he's been affecting directly in the way that immediately they're cowards, right? Like their, their backs are against the wall. They're willing to do whatever they tell them to do, um, because they have yeah, no backbone.
1: It, yeah. And they're, and they're coming from a, se- a place of self- selfish preservation. Like, yeah,, mm-hmm. uh, uh, okay. I don't, I, I don't have any, uh, you know, real conviction here i just just don't kill me you know um
0: and no true loyalty to the empire either in any sense right I yeah feel like- but
1: i mean d- yeah i'm totally there but it's 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 selfish preservation and uh yeah and but but even though they aren't they don't necessarily have loyalty to the empire they're still carrying out these terrible acts in the name of the empire and and just as bad as anybody else
0: Yeah, absolutely. The moment uh, Kino takes control of the the voice of God uh, and starts talking to the prisoners, uh, it was giving Snoke. Like
1: To you? I watched no, it again saying, and I was like, it is not giving Snoke to me.
0: No, no, no. I'm just saying, you know, obviously Andy Serkis has such a distinctive voice. So uh, when you hear Andy Circus's voice through the modulator of the voice of God and like how it sounds to the other prisoners it sounded like Snoke. It was like one way out. And I'm like, Oh, I was like, that's just interesting. I'm not, it's not anything like I'm not trying to create any Snoke theories. I just think it's, it's fascinating how his voice is just so distinctive, right? Like you can hear it a little bit.
1: You already gave a Snoke theory in this episode. So don't be like, I'm not here to give me Snoke theories. Like, come on, (laughs) come on. You literally spent time at the top of this episode, giving us a Snoke theory. Um, you had told me before we watched this episode, um, you said, Sarah, there's a monologue, you know? And I was like, ah, oh, shit, okay. Cool, cool, cool. I love a monologue. So I get to this episode, I'm watching, 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 and I'm like, wow, Andy's Circus monologue, killing it, killing it, killing it. And then I watched 20 more minutes of the episode, and here comes Luther Rail with his monologue. And then I was like, oh, this is the monologue you were talking about. There are two of them.
0: (laughs) Andor's like, why not just one scrap? How about two? How about two scraps of excellence for you today on this Wednesday morning? Star Wars fans, you deserve it. Double the fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I really felt like I did deserve it. Honestly, I was like, <laughs> wow, God, God is blessing me today. Or the maker is blessing <laughs> me today. Whatever entity you believe in. Um, it's like, maybe we've done something okay in this world that we get these performances from these actors.
0: Yeah. This moment, I think, is a huge uh, changing point for Cassian. Like, it's all been building to this Aldani, Farricks, and now Narkina Phi. Like, this is the moment when Cassian realizes he can... Fight for something larger than himself, right? Like, we talk about self preservation. I think Cassian's been living a life of self preservation. And this is the moment where he goes, Okay, it's not just about me. Like, it's about the whole, it's about the larger group, it's about a bigger cause, right? Um, Luthen telling him, you know, in the first couple episodes, Don't you want to like fight for something bigger? Like, don't you want to put a stick in the eye of the empire? And this is where he's seeing that. Um, Kino tells the entire prison they don't have enough guards and they know it. If we wait till they figure that out, it'll be too late. And he looks at Cassian and echoes his earlier lines. I'd rather die trying to take them out than die giving them what they want. And there's this moment of recognition from Cassian that goes, Oh, that's those are the words I recited earlier. And now Kino is using mm-hmm. those words to inspire an entire prison to charge one way out and chant this, chant these words and get to the top of the prison and escape. And so for Cassian, he's realizing, oh shit, I can be a leader. I can inspire people. Um, I'm good at this. Like I, mm. and I, I think this is really the moment where he's going to figure it out and, and 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 think about maybe joining the rebellion or taking Luthan up on his offer to not just do the one job in Aldani, but say like, do you got any more jobs for me? What else can I do to help your cause? And I think that's where sure. the series is going at this point. But what did you think of like Kino choosing Cassian's words and what that means for Cassian and the idea of his capacity for leadership.
1: It's so interesting that you mention it in this way, because I hadn't really considered that while watching and, and how um, Kino adapting Cassian's language um, in his speech um, could inspire him in this way. I, I think that every mission that he's gone on everything that he's experienced since the beginning of the show starting has further and further radicalized him towards the rebellion and kind of um ignited his passion a little bit more each time, but I really think that I, I think every week I feel like I'm like, Oh yeah, this is the inciting incident for Cassian. This is the inciting incident for Cassian. But like, I really think this is what's going to spur him to take capital A action, uh, in the name of the rebellion. And it's really interesting that Mel, she is going to be alongside him, um, for that. Um, and that makes a, a certain amount of sense to me that that's where we're going to be going in episodes 11 and 12. Um, but it makes me wonder if anybody else did survive, or any, if they'll meet up with anybody else, or if they, it'll be them against the world a bit.
0: Yeah, I think when we talk about the inciting incident for Cassian, this is this is definitely the one, um, or at least the the most significant one, the one that has the most pull for him. I love the fact too that we end with him and Melshi running off. You see some of the searchlight helicopter things in the background, so they're already looking for escapees which is interesting like how are they going to
1: right. i noticed
0: navigate that. that in future episodes but i love the fact that cassian is is no longer alone on his journey um he has somebody by his side i love how he tells Melshi, you know whatever happens next we made it right so it's kind of like hey even if we jump off here and we die in the ocean like at least we died as as free men right like we we didn't mm-hmm. die inside these like white stale Wall, sterile walls uh, doing one job over and over and over again like we we gained back our freedom right uh, sure I'm excited to see what the journey ahead looks like with Melshi by his side and I, I do wonder where these final two episodes are going I think we're going back to Ferex most likely because there's a lot mm. of uh, unresolved conflict there between Marva and, and Bix oh, totally. and Brasso and also Senta being there so it feels like all of that is going to come to some sort of explosive head, but how does how does Cassian convince Melshi to go to his home planet and like that it is safe, even though there is obviously an imperial presence there? Like, will Melshi agree? Like is Melshi like, no, I want to stay as far away from the Empire as possible, or is Melshi sort of in the mindset of like, yeah, let's stick it to him. Let's let's show him what we got. Like we just escaped prisons and we're we're ready to to bring the bring the fire. Wherever we can, right? So it'll it'll just be interesting, and I'm I'm excited that they're together now because we know in Rogue One that they are, they are like ride or dies. Basically, you know, Cassian tells to light it up at, at Scarif, and he's the one to uh start exploding the uh, transports all around <laughs> when when krennic gives his iconic line are we blind deploy the garrison
1: are we blind uh, yeah yeah and i it, i you bring up an interesting point i think in the speculation realm because it makes me wonder whether there I agree with you that ferrix is really unresolved at this point and we get a little piece of of Ferrex here uh Marva's rejecting her meds Cinta's kind of on the hunt um but there's no resolution to that storyline. And the question becomes, uh, yes, we're going to go back to Ferex, but does the Ferex storyline conclude with Cassian or without Cassian? Mm. Um, So in the sense of like, is it something that Marva and Bix and Brasso um, are spurring um, in their community or, or does Cassian come back and wreak some havoc again? Um, and, and that's, and that's how that happens. I think that'll be really, really interesting to find out. That was a good point uh, that you made.
0: One final note on the, the prison escape as well. I do love the uh, bird's eye view of the prison that we get and the prison almost looks like the Imperial logo. Um, and we see all the prisoners sort of swimming out at the top corner, um, and how they're almost like spreading out. I just thought that was like a really interesting image because it almost Mm -hmm. um, made me think of it almost had the the effect of like a bullet you know like when a bullet gets shot through something and the blood kind of splatters out it almost looked like it almost looked like that like the imperial logo is like almost bleeding out or the um, the empire is bleeding out and so like I kind of I kind of viewed it as like oh this this prison revolt like these people is is like another another splinter in the foot of the empire right um it's like it's like another pocket of fomenting right um
1: right and i just thought that was interesting and, yeah and that, i mean that energy is totally intentional too we were talking last week about i don't know if we talked about it too much on the podcast but we talked about it off air and on twitter about how that one doorway that Motha walks through looks or resembles or kind of gives the the feeling of the or not the imperial the rebel logo and, everybody had different thoughts on where the how the rebel logo would be positioned or placed within that shape but it definitely had that kind of circular uh, flowing in a sense a uh, shape to the rebel, rebel logo and this episode does the exact opposite with the imperial logo and with explicitly what the prism looks like um and there's no way that that is all coincidental in a show like this especially <laughs>
0: Yeah. The filmmakers are very intentional with every choice they make. So, um, I love that imagery and I, I love the music that plays over it because it's basically saying like, Hey, there is hope. Like there are people in the world who are going to sure. give it their all like, like these people and like Cassian and like, Kino Loy. So if we just can string together those people, like, like how Luthan says, I need all the heroes I can get. Right. And it flips over right. to Melshi and Cassian. Like those are the heroes he needs. Um, because look at what they've done on Narkeena 5. So it's just like a, it's an inflection point for Cassian, but it's just also an inflection point for hope in the galaxy. And the fact that like hope will survive and it will lead to a new hope. And um, how do we, how do we get there is the big question. And this is just the, this is just the start. So um, speaking of other agents of rebellion, let's hop over to Ma Mothma and and like her sacrifice here um, because she finally meets uh, Delvin davo scaldin davo, is his name
1: davo golden. and like the way that his name was name dropped last week we we're like davo Skolden, i supposed to know that name the answer is no but you are now um because he <laughs> shows up in her house and he's the piece of shit and he's like he's like um he comments on orison and her home uh and then he is willing to finance her charitable fund if Uh, he is invited to return with his 14-year-old son uh, to meet her 13-year-old daughter, Leda. Man. um, How did this make you feel as a person in the world? (laughs) Uh,
0: Very angry. Very angry. Uh, It's the misogyny uh, of it all. Like, this tradition on Shandrilla is one that Mothma... Does not like, does not support. Um, mm-hmm. Davo says sometimes our position makes decisions for us. Neither of us have lived a life that encourages nonconformity, which is ironic because obviously she is totally living a life of nonconformity because the entire essence of the rebellion is nonconformity, right? So, uh, right. I think that is very interesting how she says she's not considering it, and he's like, "That's the first time you've lied uh, in this entire conversation." So that that shows how well she's hiding her true intentions and what she's doing behind the scenes. Um, first off, but yeah, she's bad
1: omens. It's bad omens. It gives me bad vibes. Not, not like not her, you know, kicking him out and saying, no, I'm not considering it, but just the fact that he's able to read that and be like, no, 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 you are.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it, it echoes back to, uh, when Luthen told her, if you're not willing to sacrifice your conscience, like give up now, fold in, like, we all got to make sacrifices. Right. And so the big question now is, is, is Mothma willing to marry off her daughter to this wealthy scum of the earth businessman in order to advance the rebel cause? Cause we know how much she dislikes this tradition. She does not support it. She wishes she probably didn't have to have, uh, been a part of it as well. um,
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of key thing that that I'm thinking about uh, when I watch this episode again was, you know, her when he suggests this, she immediately is incredibly defensive. She shuts him down, literally kicks him out of her home. Right. What is her story was. Was Mon herself, we we kind of have been told and kind of have inferred that, you know, her and Tay Colma had some sort of relationship when they were kids. Um, was it like a romantic relationship in their teens before she married Perrin? You know, uh, I don't know if we know the answer to that 100%, but I think that's uh, something that's easy to infer. Um, but was was Mon married off in the same way or paired up in the same way? Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there a story behind beyond her just not agreeing with or liking the tradition? Is there a story behind why uh, this suggestion um, riles her in in this particular way uh, towards, towards like being so defensive about it? I I wonder if um, her family set her up in this way too. And she doesn't want to pass that down um, to her daughter, but it seems like that might not be, uh it might it might be a non-choice for her if that makes sense um you know it might be just what she has to do so i don't know i don't know i'm really fascinated by that um but also earlier in the conversation when devo walks into the home and is immediately like oh you know i've only been here once before i thought i'd be coming back a bunch but no and and Mon goes, well, it's state property. The choices on decor are limited. He's like, oh, it's a bit antiquated, or, or, or I don't know what he says specifically, but you know, it's out of date. And I just thought that was a really bold uh and loud statement on how literally everything in Mon's life is not hers. Um, and she doesn't have any control over it. Like the only thing that she has control over is her participation in the rebellion. Um, because um she she doesn't even get a choice of what her home looks like uh you know what her husband's doing what her daughter's doing um her role as a senator like she, there's there's um, a real lack of choice um in that and i think that is uh reflected when devo makes his proposition about his son uh and her daughter and then i also think that's reflected uh in a very kind of sideways um, way, when we go to Luthen's, um, you know, shop, and then there is a Padme's headdress or a version of the Naboo queen headdress, because then I was thinking to myself, oh well, um, Padme was what fourteen when she was elected queen um, of Naboo, so there's something about a loss of youth um being stuck uh uh in early maturity into womanhood um that uh, that is being hinted at or touched or conversed about um i think in this episode um in particular
0: yeah as much as we talk about sacrifice i think choice is a huge a huge idea uh, integrated into mon's story and I think Mon is a character who is having her choice stripped away and has had her choice stripped away from her. Uh, And here we have this man who is like a drop of discomfort, maybe the price of doing business. And uh, it's so insulting for him to say that, you know, like a drop of discomfort really minimizing the impacts of what he's proposing. Right. Like to him, it's a drop and he's going to benefit from her discomfort. He's going to be the one that, yes, I'm married now to the Senator from, chandrilla and um my family is going to reap the benefits of wealth uh as part of this partnership like my my son will reap those benefits um marrying well
1: it's, a wealthy it's not daughter. even wealth well it's not even wealth because he's the one with the wealth. Mm-hmm. Dave Dave's the banker guy you know he's the one that has access to wealth mon has the access to status
0: status yeah yeah
1: you know like cuz she's this the galactic senator her family has not just a ranking within shandrilla but a ranking within the galaxy so there's like a huge status upgrade that i think comes along with that and i think that's why she's part well part of the reason why she's so deeply offended um, you know because otherwise he has it all in a lot of ways
0: yeah and the way that she reacts when he walks out of the room like really just chilling performance by by Genevieve O'Reilly and the way that she's trying to catch her breath and she's shaking and she's very uh, distraught by this proposal. And I I can't help but think she's, she's considering the ways in which her life changed because her choice was taken away from her. And is she willing to pass that off to her daughter and take her daughter's choice away? Um, You know, do the ends justify the means? Like these are things that she's going to have to, to weigh, right? Like the empire takes away the choice of, of civilizations and of people and of, of societies. Um, will she do that on a, on a very personal level, level with her own family? Um, and how does that make her feel? And how does she weigh that, uh, that choice if she makes it, right? So I, I don't know if she will or if she won't. Um, that is going to drastically affect the way that we see Mothma either way. Uh, and I'm very excited to see like what her decision is because it it has huge ramifications.
1: Oh, totally! It. I mean, it, I I fear learning what she'll choose, um, because I worry for Leda, who again only fourteen or thirteen. I worry. I worry for Mon. I don't know. I worry for everybody right now.
0: <laughs> Andor, I worry for everybody right now. That's like the the shows. Honestly. I do. Yeah. One final thought too. I hate how he says one of the indulgences of great wealth is the freedom from other people's opinions. I mean, this guy has said like some pretty terrible things throughout this conversation, but he this says, is definitely one says, of them.
1: He says money solves capital E everything.
0: Yeah. So he, he represents the uh, capitalist pigs of our world, right? Like people who have just hoarded wealth and think that that can elevate them to some new level where they are, are free from consequence and, um, free from public discourse and free from criticism. And, and they exist on a different playing field altogether, um, than the rest of the, you know, lower people of society. So I think he's just a terrible person. Um, I'm hoping that that terrible personality outweighs any benefit to the rebel Alliance and Mon decides not to marry her daughter off, but, um, I will be interested to see if she talks to Leda about it and like what, what Leda says and like what her thought is and all of this. Right. Because we haven't heard a lot from Leda and I feel like that's, that's going to come to a head at some point. I don't know. I, she, she's just been sort of like dropped in certain moments throughout the series so far. I feel like there is a, a, a big thing that's going to happen with her at some point.
1: I, I think that's a possibility, but I also think that it's a possibility that she is just and I and I mean this in the sense of the story and not uh, and in the writing and not in the sense of like her actual character. But I I do think that in some ways, like she is uh, more of uh, a game piece in the context of this show than potentially like an actual player. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much more we could theoretically how much more time we could theoretically spend with her to get to know her to like, to entertain like a conversation like that. Um, as much as I would find it, I think incredibly interesting. Um, I don't know.
0: Part of me hopes that, um, Leda is actually like a rebel at heart and she just hasn't, Come out about it yet, you know? So I don't know. I, I, there, there is going to be something whether she maybe turns Mon in or tries to ruin Mon or, um, maybe she joins Mon. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be interesting. Or, you know, is something that happens with her daughter really the catalyst for, uh, for Mon to go full blown rebel? You know, is there some sort of, um, inciting incident for her as well around her daughter that causes like her to leave politics and just, become the face of the rebellion. So it's, it's interesting for sure. But as much as we're talking about Mon, I think we should wrap up the conversation with Luthen. Uh, Luthen Stella Skarsgård is the standout of this episode for sure. Uh, I love that we start with Lonnie who's from the ISB council. And we saw talking to, um, Deidre Mero and, and in the beginning of the episode when they, you know, capture Anton Krieger's pilot or the vessel and their, kind of laying the trap for Anto, uh, Anton or Anto Krieger. Um, and uh, Lonnie offers up a solution about how they should inspect the the ship to make sure nothing seems out of the ordinary because that's what they would normally would do. And uh, seeing him go through the underbelly of Coruscant to meet with Luthen uh, is interesting. It's cool that we're we're bringing in an ISV double agent this far into the series. I love that they didn't show those cards too early. I think it's a... Um, a compelling story to now bring up again, when we think about the ideas of sacrifice and we learn Lonnie has been working in the ISB for six years, going up through the ranks and that's a long game. That is a very long game. Um, what did you make of this conversation with these two?
1: Well, we, we know that this game is much longer than we ever thought it was. You know, you mentioned the six years, but uh, Luthen says that every, I wake up every day, uh to an equation I wrote fifteen years ago, So this is something for Luther that's been in motion for a really long time, a really long time. Um, and and he's been putting the pieces in place piece by piece, very slowly, um in the hopes that something will come of it. And now it seems like something's about to come of it. Um, okay? <laughs> I can't get over uh with this whole thing. Um Bluetooth spy um is what I'm calling Lonnie. Uh because <laughs> he gets into the elevator and he grabs like a Bluetooth earpiece and puts it in his ear. And I was like, uh, lol. <laughs> and I know it's like the dumbest piece of commentary ever, but like um that's what that's what stuck out to me in a very superficial sense. Uh but I think it's interesting where, you know, Lonnie doesn't agree with what's happening in the ISB. Obviously that's why he's a part of the you know, growing rebellion. Um, and he like struggles a lot with that, but he's ready to, he's ready to get out. He's ready to be done. Like he feels a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And, um, and I find that, that to be interesting. He's like, well, I'm a parent now. I don't want to be a part of this. And Luther like flips it on his head and is like, well, uh, how's he kind of, he kind of has the bargaining chip knowing about his daughter uh and also uh, being able to hang that above his head a little bit i i just think it's a very interesting situation in which luthen is leveraging his power and his knowledge um in order to manipulate somebody to keep somebody in the rebellion um and i think that that shows that goes back to my note about like wow luthen is ruthless uh because he's unafraid to say things like that but he it's also like His ruthlessness extends to his plans in their entirety, if that makes sense.
0: When he says, we've been grooming you for too long, (laughs) you know, I mean, he's, he's just outright saying it at that point. Like you are, you are a piece of my puzzle and I will keep you in line. Like you're kind of trapped at this point, whether you like it or not. And I hate to say that. I think about you constantly, but like, that's just how it is. That's how it has to be.
1: Constantly is so weird. Uh, and, and, and a little messed up. Um, it's in the way that that's phrased to Lonnie. I feel I I don't disagree with like Luthen's message and Luthen's uh, goals. Um, he's rather he's rather ruthless about the way that he's going to make that happen, which he explicitly discusses. You know, I've I've given up all chance of inner peace. Um, what does Luthen give up? Okay, he goes calm kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight, for which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my sacrifice? I condemned, I am condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. Uh, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience in the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything.
0: Oh man! And let
1: us let us clap for Bo Wilman. And ready
0: and <laughs> clap, 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 clap. clap. Uh, holy shit, man! That was there's so much baked into that uh, that monologue there. Um, so much to to dive into, and you understand the weight of of Luthen's sacrifice. And um, when you think of Luthen's ruthlessness, this puts it in a new light. I think Luthen is somebody who doesn't want to be ruthless, but understands he has to be right. Like, I think there's a double meaning behind. I think about you constantly. It's like, yes, I think about you constantly because at my heart, um, I don't want this for you, but then unfortunately I need this for you. I need this from you. I need you to do these things for me because otherwise there's, there's no moving forward with the cause. Um, you know, burning his, burning his future for, uh, or burning his decency for somebody else's future. Like he understands, like he's got to get to the empire's level in order to defeat them. Like he's got to use those tools. Um, mm-hmm. he's willing to sacrifice Anto Krieger. He says in the conversation to Lonnie, like if that's what has yeah. to happen, that's, that's what has to happen. If that's, you know, if Anto Krieger is a, is a martyr, so be it. Because that, that's right. more important that the, the inspiration and the motivator is more important than the, the people.
1: Right. Right. And I, I, yeah, I think that that really um, illuminates his point of view quite strongly as he's willing to sacrifice Anto Krieger in front of another one of his, his people and be like, this is what, this is just part of playing the game. Like, this is just part of what we do. And I think that's really difficult to wrap your head around at times, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just think this is. Um, his performance in the scene, this entire scene, the fact that he's standing on a railless bridge—make uh, note, <laughs> make note—that he is on a railless bridge. Uh, we all know what happens on railless bridges; it's not good. Uh, obviously, nothing of that sort happens here, but it was ominous, it was spooky. was um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a like, bit threatening this... too,
0: Delani. It's like, come out and confront me. Like,
1: right, I dare you. Right, I dare right. you to. You know, right? But this speech is a work of freaking art. It is some of the best speechifying uh, I have ever seen. I have never been so shooketh to my core um, with a monologue. Uh, you know, maybe with the exception of some Shakespeare, because he's got some delicious lines. But like this is this is so good. And Baldwin just wrote some insane stuff here. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts there's such weight to every one of those words. Um, and I think that, the, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have anything more about to say about like the content of the scene, but like, I just am, I just was so immensely impressed with this scene and selling scars delivery of these incredible, um, lines of dialogue.
0: Truly one of the most powerful performances of any star Wars project. You put this up with, uh, Andy circus as Kino Loy as well. I mean, you're just getting two powerhouses.
1: And they're in the same episode. They're in the same yeah. episode. Two yeah. delicious monologues in the same episode. Who does that? It's not even the final one. It's not even the main character that's saying them. It's got me messed up. It Like, dramatically, it's, it's got me messed up.
0: It really paints Luther as a tragic character as well. He is somebody who, who is trapped um you know he tells Lonnie you're trapped but really Luthan is the one that's trapped here right he's done so he's probably done so many bad things uh he can't even count them at this point and it, it makes me think of Cassian and his speech to Jen like you know we've all done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion like spies, saboteurs, assassins right and so right um, right we're, we're we're not only getting a look at the life of of Luther but also like the life that Cassian is gonna eventually turn to and like why he feels so haunted in rogue one like why he's willing to kill his friend right in the beginning of rogue one right like he is going to embrace this mentality like this is a this is a mirror into the life of 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 what cassian's going to choose very soon here right like cassian is going to to burn his life literally <laughs> you know like the death star firing on scarif he's going to burn his life to make a sunrise he'll never see right him and Jen Erso do that. They're going to be consumed by that fire. Mm-hmm. That's that's the idea of sacrifice. It's, it's doing things for the greater good, not for yourself. And um, that is like, again, the tragedy of the rebellion in Star Wars. It's like, it's all these everyday people fighting this fight and not knowing if they'll ever see the path ahead, like the better future. But they continue doing it anyways. Like they continue fighting that fight no matter what, because like, they understand a better future for everybody is more important than just a future for myself. Uh,
1: right. Right.
0: And sometimes that's taken to the extreme and you got to do some terrible things in the star Wars galaxy to make that happen because you're facing some of the most oppressive forces imaginable.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. I think that, you know, this, this selflessness and, um, this whole thing is, it is, it is kind of the epitome of rebellion in its truest sense.
0: But also uh, something that is inspiring as well is like he says that he sacrificed, call kinship, love and kindness. I will say as much as this does get to some essence of what it means to be a rebel, I think there are also a lot of ways in which future rebels will defy the things that Luthen thought he had to give up in order to hmm. make that rebellion happen. Because I think Luthen's obviously very extreme in his methods, right? But people like Luke Skywalker and Leia and Han Solo, I think those three people show that calm, kindness, kinship, and love can also be as important to the rebellion as like your anger and your ego and your unwillingness to yield. Like, yes, those are all important things, and you have to be brave in the face of evil, but like also love does ignite the stars and love can save the galaxy and be a huge motivator for people. Um, So you don't necessarily have to give up those things in the process, but I think Luther making the choice to give up those things to set his life on one path and one path only is um, again, tragic um, and also very interesting. Just, I, I want to know more about his character and his path, but do you kind of also mm-hmm. see like, you know, just the future rebels like defying a little bit of, of his statement here.
1: I think that's an incredible point that you make because yes, because when you look at a character like Rose, um, Wow, I just really had to bring Rose into this conversation about Andor. Perfect, but like, love it. It, it is <laughs> compassion is what guides her, and it is grief guides her. Compassion is what guides her. She she never loses her sense of kindness, her sense of selflessness, uh, uh, and selfless love and empathy to the people around her. Um, and like that's why she saves Finn in the end of the Last Jedi. Um, and and I think that that motivating factor even comes into the final battle in uh in the rise of skywalker. Um I mean we ultimately see what what connects Ray and Kylo uh is this connection that they have with one another and ultimately like an affection that they have for each other. Um and he kind of is brought to her side at the end of that story um because you know they're able to see on the same page and see with a certain uh, um, a certain sense of empathy.
0: Right. And it's, it's what brings Luke to his father's side in Return of the Jedi. It's love. It's love of his father and a willingness to right, see the good in him. Right. And that's yeah. literally what saves the galaxy is love, you know? So that definitely is just, again, it's interesting that Luthen gave up those things in order to start the rebellion. Um, but as we know, those things don't have to continue to be given up. I think laying the groundwork is much harder than we probably under- can under- even understand and like what Luthen has had to do so in some sense he's a trailblazer for you know what's required to be a rebel um but in other senses he is not the only example and that's not the only methodology you have to follow in order to be a rebel again like everybody has their own form of rebellion you know
1: sure 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 and 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 i think that's reflected too in in the in what we see in later stories where the, uh, factions of the rebellion there are different factions of the rebellion you know they have splintered because they have different outlooks um on what they should be doing how they should be acting and even what goal they're going for so so like there's definitely different paths of resistance um and and luther i think made a necessary choice in order to get things going for himself and and for the rebellion but it's going to be clear i think in the coming years to these characters uh the ways in which they Uh, actually do differ.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited for whatever's next on the series. I think the last two episodes are going to be explosive and um, just groundbreaking. Uh, (laughs) I feel like, I think they're directed by Tony Gilroy and um, I forget who was writing the last few episodes. He might be writing the last few episodes. I'm I'm kind of blanking, honestly, at this point. I cannot wait how the story wraps up for season one and then having to wait for season two is going to be brutal. I'm getting kind of sad that we're nearing the end um but very excited for for what's ahead so um with that being said sarah did you have any final thoughts did you want to get into our andors quick here and then we'll wrap up
1: um so i wanted to note that the time grappler um this when we go back to ferricks we kind of start to get some of the time grappler grappling time sounds and i was like ah yes i love that this is um this is the sound, the sound of Farracks. Um, I maybe feel very at home. I love that. And then um also I realized I think in this episode that the cells, maybe I mentioned this opposite last episode, I don't know. But the cells are shared. Um I think because like there's a day shift and the a night shift and then they switch. So I don't think there's like any sense of um actual independent privacy in the prison. Just an observation.
0: I don't think I have any other odds and ends, um, but I do have my ands for our and or segment, which is...
1: I've got an an and and an or. I'm ready.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Uh, So these are... And or is our segment where we say uh, two things we liked, X and Y, and then uh, a situational question, which is X or Y. Uh, Yeah. So with that being said, um, Sarah, what's your ands for this week?
1: My and, my and is Luthan and Keno or Stellan. And Andy, I'm just here for the monologues,
0: baby. Oh my gosh, Sarah, we have the same. We have
1: the same. Wow. Because my just, my end,
0: um, my end was Andy Circus and Stellan Skarsgård.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: Same brain cell operating at full capacity today, this morning.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We wow. Uh, look at look at us. Look at us after this very difficult, very tiring, very early <laughs> morning record. We had we had a bit of a Nico Nirvana here even though it wasn't Niku you know yeah we just had a moment that was so beautiful I'm so glad that we could have that I just just never
0: I just never thought when we would start watching Andor by the end of season one we'd be like yeah our two favorite performances are Stellan Skarsgård and Andy Serkis like what Um, like what are we watching we
1: should mention we should mention there's no uh no Cyril in this episode um I bet you he's at home crying so we should give him his privacy at this time.
0: Or he's at Deidre's workplace, being a effing creep, <laughs> like I lurking mean, yeah. in the shadows. Uh, so he's yeah. one of two. He's one of two places. Um,
1: yeah. Maybe mom. His his mom is giving him extra bowls of the the crunchy cereal so <laughs> he can cope. <laughs> okay. Pathetic loser.
0: An- yes. Go ahead.
1: Um, if you are escaping from an imperial prison. Uh, would you rather have to escape into swimming or running?
0: Oh, my God. Oh, man. This is just terrible. This is a terrible. I, I would say running because when you swim, you have to use your arms and your legs. Uh, at least if you're running, your legs tire. And at least, you know, you still have your arms <laughs> to to fight off some people, you know, if you need to. So, uh, I would choose running.
1: I would choose swimming. I feel like, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna work your whole body. Yes, but you can hide in the water if necessary. Mm. And also I don't like to sweat. So that as a sport growing up, I realized this, that I don't enjoy sweating and that swimming was a great sport for me because you you're just, you're just entirely wet. You can't even if you are sweating, you can't feel it because you're just dizzy. That's
0: true. That's <laughs> a good point. That is a good point.
1: And and I feel like I I would move faster at a faster pace over time swimming than running. I I my mile time is not very good. Let's just say that
0: <laughs> I'm a terrible runner. Uh, I I so I don't even know why I'm choosing running. I used to be on the swim team, I so I either. probably should have chose swimming. But you know, we'll we'll try it out. We'll just try it out. If I get shot in the back, it's fine. Whatever, I tried. Uh, at least I died trying. Uh, to Cassian's point. Okay, so my uh, my or um, does Kino Loy get pickled, or does he not get pickled?
1: Oh he does not get pickled. End of conversation, please, dear God. Okay. You're like, I'm not here to do my Snoke theory, and then you're like, here are three times I'm gonna bring up Snoke.
0: Listen, we didn't see a body. We didn't see a body. Um,
1: actually, my real
0: question though is, what do you what do you did did he swim or did he not try to swim? Do you think he just ended up jumping?
1: I don't know. I really don't. I don't know if I have an opinion on that.
0: Because it's it's almost like you know death in there or death out there, and I just I just don't know. I don't know like where Kino's mind is and what he decides. And I I, I also like that it does keep it ambiguous, you know, because it it makes us think and it makes us wonder what what does happen to him. So, um, a tragic end for Kino Loy. I wish he was more part of the rebellion, but alas.
1: But alas, you know we don't want to we don't want to have too much Andy Circus. Like it I, I might it might lose the novelty and the deliciousness of Andy Circus. You know
0: he's like wasabi. You have to do little increments of of Andy Circus, not too much or not, it gets too spicy.
1: <laughs> we love Andy Circus. Have not a bad word to say about Andy Circus <laughs> at all. um But like you know we don't want to overuse Andy Circus.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's
1: just too good. He's just yeah. too good.
0: Well, with that being said, uh, that wraps up our, our episode today on on uh, One Way Out. So episode number 10, we got two more on the horizon. And then we're done with season you one of Andor. We still have two more. Yeah. What a blessing. 12 episodes. I love it. I can't wait until we're back next week talking episode 11. And we do have some guests scheduled for next week. Um, we haven't yeah. had any of these last two episodes since we got the episodes early. So we just wanted to um, record them on our own. Um, but with that being said, if you want to hear more from us here at Andor or candor on friends of the force, you can follow us on our socials on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as Sarah and I on Twitter, Letterboxd and Goodreads to see what we're reading, what we're watching and what we're saying. Uh, and also if you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to the show helps other folks find the show, join the Andor discussion and, uh, continue being a part of the rebellion. Um, I also love, uh, Luthen's line to Lonnie. You've made such. Or your your sacrifice to the rebellion is epic. Um, that's how I feel.
1: Epic. Oh, I didn't mention that, but that God, what a weird word to hear in Star Wars. I don't yeah. know if I'll enjoy that. I don't yeah. know if I enjoyed that. I'll be honest uh, with you. That was kind of odd.
0: <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. Every time I watch Rogue One, I watch Andor, or I talk about Andor or Rogue One, I feel like my my sacrifice to the rebellion is epic. For the hundredth time watching Rogue One, it's so epic. Uh that's okay, what I okay. that's my form of sacrifice, my time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we also i'm gonna get i'm gonna hop back on our outro okay uh we also have a patreon We're tears started just a dollar and uh as always we are like very very truly grateful to all of our patrons who helped make the show happen um to help keep the lights on for our show um, so thank you very much they are Amy, Brian with an I, Brian with a Y Cheryl, Clay, Danny, Davis, Dylan uh, Huang, Jen, Knights of Ren, Leanne Levi, Lucy, Lindsay, Randy, Rob Saber Bouquet, Talkers, Stephen Travis, Tom, and our newest patron Santa thank you all so very much and thank you to everybody who takes the time out of their day to listen to any of our episodes Uh it means the world to us, we're really glad that you can join in this conversation with us, uh, please reach out to us we'd love to uh, know what's up So tell us, tell us if you enjoyed the episode or um, what you're having for breakfast.
0: (laughs) Hopefully it's crunchies.
1: Yeah. Hopefully it's crunchies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, once again, thank you all for listening. And until next week, may the force be with you always.